Great. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Well, welcome everybody that's new and everybody that's old. And um, we're happy that you're here with us. So tonight I'm going to talk about step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And we're going to be working largely out of the AA 12 and 12, but I'm going to, you know, flip a little bit back and forth between the big book and the 12 and 12. Um, because, you know, okay, so whenever I, I discuss step two, it, I have to start with the necessity for step two. Like, it, you've got to just discuss why. Why is this necessary? And, and to do that, I have to look at step one. So step one in the AA 12 and 12 states, um, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking or Mikey's destructive eating that only an act of providence can remove it from us. And um, you know, if you've heard me speak before, I, I usually work that line into almost every conversation I have because what it means is that I am a person and I'll speak for myself, I must have a miracle. That's what an act of providence is. Nothing but a miracle is going to, is going to do the trick for someone like me. The only chance that I have of living with something that's permanent, progressive, and fatal is this act of providence. In other words, this miracle. I am a woman who has to have a miracle, okay? So now in Bill's story, page eight, it says, I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. For me, food was my master. So step two is believing that I can be rescued from one master, which is the substance, by only a power that's higher than that. Think about it. If you're, if you're under the control of something that is mastering you, well, you can't break out of that right? Because it's, it's the master over you. And, and my experience is it's a cruel master. Food and substance is a cruel master. Um, and it tells you what you like, what you don't like, who you hang out with, who you don't hang out with. You know, whether you're important enough to be on a meeting or not important enough, right? I mean, that's, that's how this master owned me, kept me Basically, for me, it kept me cut off from as many people who cared about me as possible so that it could have its way with me, right? And so my experience has been that only a higher power could have broken me free from that master. And in more about alcoholism, it ends with this very fact. Page 43, it says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, may the first bite, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And then to further build upon this point in We Agnostics, page 44, remember, I'm gonna like convince you, you know, how, how, why can we even talk about step two? Because I need to be convinced of the necessity. 
And so in We Agnostics on page 44, it says, if you honestly want to, want to find you cannot quit entirely, or when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So we're told we've got nothing but this to offer you. Like I got nothing else to say, right? It's like, why do I need step two? Cause there's no other options for someone like me. And then there's a solution. Well, we are given, there's two alternatives, page 25, two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. And the other is to accept spiritual help. So step two is, hmm, either I better be prepared to eat a lot, a lot, eat so much so that I'm numb to how cruel this master is, or I have to accept spiritual help. And now this is gonna bring us right to step two. And I think in my experience with the steps, when they're done correctly, it's just like you're walking up or down a staircase and your foot is left dangling after you finish one step. And if it's done correctly, you are like, you have a need to put it on the next step. It's like you must. And so that's my necessity for kind of drilling down on this step one. Okay, so I have to have this spiritual experience or I'm going to die, right? All right, so now this brings us to step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. On page 25, and this is in the AA 12 and 12 now, most AA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. So here we see that we have a problem a very serious problem. What is this problem? What's this problem that we have? Well, it says, having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession. So our dilemma, our problem is that we lack a sufficient power and our solution must be well, get sufficient power, right? Just get some of this power. And we're told that this higher power is the only thing that can remove the obsession. So, all right, so what's the problem with that, right? Why is that a problem for us? Well, here we go. Some of us won't believe in God. Others can't. And still others who do believe that God exists have no faith whatsoever that he's gonna perform this miracle for us. So we're given three different categories that people fall into. One, some of us won't believe in God's existence, refusal to believe. Two, others can't believe. They might want to, but they just can't. Or three, some believe in this existence, but they have no faith in a God that can perform this miracle for them. So, all right, so now let's look at those that won't believe. 
well, the AA 12 and 12 calls him belligerent and says his state of mind is savage, belligerent, aggressive, argumentative, and confrontational. And they call it a savage state of mind. And if you look up savage, what is it? Out of control, well, check, right? I've shown my pictures before. That's, that's a visual demonstration of someone who is out of control. Wild, brutal, lawless, untamed. It sounds really harsh when you read this. It's like, my gosh, I was just bad. What do you mean? I was lawless and untamed and brutal. Well, you know, if your only crime is, in a sense, is that you won't believe in God, are you really all that bad, right? Well, you're here, which means that your human functioning is ineffective. I mean, that's what it was for me. My human functioning was not an effective way to function or otherwise I would have functioned, right? I mean, as much as I love hanging with you guys, if I would have been functional out there on my own, I never would be on a Zoom call, right? Just wouldn't have crossed my path. Um, and yeah, out of control, clearly out of control. And I know for me, in inactive addiction, I did not behave in ways that were in agreement with many laws. I didn't. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't know right from wrong. I knew right from wrong. Or even that I believed that those rules were right and true for me. I did. You know, I just didn't always think that all those rules that applied for other people really applied for me. Like, I just always was looking to be just a little bit of the exception to things. Um, and that's what it means to be belligerent and savage. You know, laws were fine, laws are good, but I was somehow above many other laws. I didn't really want to be told what to do. And now it wasn't that I went out and robbed banks or murdered people or did anything quite like that. Um, but I broke laws that I actually thought were valuable, like littering. I mean, that's the truth. I love the earth. I think it's important to take care of the planet. I think, and I would drive and I would throw my wrappers out the window because in that moment, well, food is the master and master says, get rid of the evidence. If they know they're gonna stop you, get rid of the evidence. Didn't matter that I knew the laws. Didn't matter that I actually believed that littering was wrong right, or stealing from colleagues was wrong. But I did that, right? I took things, food mostly that didn't belong to me because master told me, you know, my selfishness, my disease, my food told me, just eat it, Shh, just eat it, be quiet. Don't tell anyone, just do it, right? Sneak around, just do it. So, you know, the majority of addicts don't like being told what to do. That's the truth. We don't like to be told what to do. And if you remember in step one, part of what we came to understand is that the addict cannot live within the boundaries of his own knowledge. That's part of what it means to be an addict. 
So it wasn't that we didn't have the knowledge of what we were supposed to behave, you know, how we were supposed to behave, what we were supposed to do. It's just that we couldn't live within that knowledge. That's lawless, that's savage, that's untamed. Furthermore, those who won't believe in God, right, won't assume a position of humility. They want to be at the top. They fancy themselves as leader, which is what it says in Bill's story. That's how Bill described himself, his state of mind when he came home from the war, having been heroic. He fancied himself a leader. Those who won't believe are concerned that their entire philosophy of life is being threatened. And they are scared actually to allow themselves to be tamed by some power, right? And especially if you can't define it, well, I don't wanna be tamed by something I can't define, right? You know, they fear who they're gonna become. Those who won't believe are spiritually arrogant, believing in themselves, in science, in the power of man. They're angry and they revolt at the thought that they may have to abandon all their beliefs and faiths in science. And here's what we tell them, right? Here's what the book tells them. Relax, like chill out, like just be willing to seek. You know, won't, will not is the opposite of will, willing. So won't and What's the opposite? Willing, right? Des and, and so all you need to do is to practice some willingness. Well, how can you become willing? I, I think there's two really important components to willingness, desperation and hope. Desperation, hope. So I don't know how to tell you to get desperate. That's the job, by the way, that's the job of the food. That's the job of the diet. That's the job of the scheme. That's the job of Jenny Craig, of Weight Watchers, of Cabbage Soup. All those things got me desperate, right? Um, and then, well, then how about hope? How do you acquire hope? Well, if you're here, I think you've got enough hope, right? I mean, otherwise, what are you doing, right? Why are you, what'd you come for, right? I mean, and that's, I think anybody, um, you know, I, I heard people say like, I've lost all hope. And I kind of say like, mm, I, nonsense. I, I think that's, I think that's nonsense a little bit because, you know, I've gotten phone calls from people who say, I, I have no hope left. And I kind of like want to quietly whisper to them, what'd you call me for? Like, of course you have hope. I think the master food is telling you you don't have any, but there's some piece of you that must believe that there's something, anybody that gets out of bed, that picks up a phone 7 a.m. and dials into a number to start listening to strangers or gets on a Zoom call turns their camera on, must have some hope. Anybody that tore out, you know, in the magazine at the doctor's office, the latest diet craze had some hope, right? Some little piece of hope. 
if you got out of bed this morning, maybe you have enough hope to, right? So this is enough, I'd say, to move a person that small step from won't now to can't. All right, I'm willing, but I can't. I just can't. All right. So for those that can't believe, they have difficulty believing in a higher power's existence. Well, one, Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe in anything specific, only that you're willing to seek, you're willing to look. Two, to get sober and stay sober, to get abstinent and stay abstinent. It says you can do it piecemeal. You can do it in increments. You know, we call this the educational variety in measured increments. Or I'd say, hmm, what's a measured increment? A step, right? So if you're willing to start taking some steps, that can happen for you. And three, all you really need is an open mind. Stop debating, right? Just stop debating. In page 27, it says this AA business, I thought is totally unscientific. This I can't swallow. I simply won't consider such nonsense. So, okay, great. Well, nobody's telling you what to believe. Just to consider believing. Just keep your mind open. Stop debating. And like all great scientists, focus on the evidence. The evidence tells us that there has been prodigious results. What is that? Remarkable results, impressive results, abnormal results, huge results. Look around at all the people in our fellowship who have had unbelievable results. By the way, I'm one of them. I have had unbelievable results. Every one of us, all those people in this fellowship who have had unbelievable results will tell you that it was the power of God, that it entered their hearts and our lives and has done the impossible. To deny those results because they didn't agree with your theory points out that the one with the closed mind is in fact the one who can't believe. Because if you see evidence of people who got well and they tell you it's this that got me well and you still say, mm, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, you're not so scientific after all, right? So, um, you know, what I thought for a bit was that this OA thing with all its higher power talk was a scam. I thought there was a scam here. I thought it was like a hoax, like, like a trick, sort of like we were all kind of fooling ourselves to believe. Like we would all say the same thing, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, they say like, like I'm gonna just believe it, right? And, um, and I didn't wanna allow myself to be tricked into believing such nonsense. But there was this idea that slowly planted in my consciousness. Couldn't you just allow yourself to go with it? Like, how's your way working? You know, what if you just went with this trick for a minute, right? And 
what has happened for me was nothing short of miraculous. It, and, and today I could happily say that if in fact I'm a victim of a scam or a hoax, it is the best scam ever. <laughs> it's a great scam. Um, it cost me nothing. I didn't pay one dime. Nobody asked me for any money, right? Um, if it's a trick, well, I was tricked into releasing 160 pounds. <laughs> I've been tricked into releasing all my desire for food. Like I have, you know, most days I really am not interested in anything that's outside my food plan. You know, um, so I was set free from a master. If this is a scam, the scam set me free from the other master. Um, every relationship in my life has improved and I want every relationship in my life to improve. So the areas that people tell me I need to work on, I actually want to. That's, if that's a trick and that's a scam, it's awesome. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mother. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better sister. I'm a better daughter. I'm a neighbor, a friend. You know, I've been able to go through some real difficulties in my life with peace and a faith that strengthens over time. If it's a scam, then it's a wonderful scam, right? And again, it cost me nothing. And what I got is a seat in a beautiful friendship and fellowship. I've gotten some of the closest friends, true friendship, where we're honest with each other and a life of meaning and purpose. So, you know, sounds like a scam, right? Sign me up, it's a great one. So here are the instructions for those who can't believe. To acquire it, I only had to stop fighting and practice the rest of AA's program as enthusiastically as I could. So our belief is actually the result of the work. Here we are once again told to stop fighting and cooperate with the process. Most of us find that our belief develops, it strengthens and grows along the way. It can be gentle and gradual and over time, what happens is it infiltrates your life. It just, it gets into your marrow. It becomes who you are. It gets in your veins. This is what it means to transform. But in order to transform, a person has to pursue change. You have to want it. You have to chase it. And we're given some reassurance. Now, a very common scenario that happens is people get to step two and they think that they're stalled here because they haven't figured out what their God is yet. And I get that a lot. People call and they say, I'm struggling to figure out what God is. So I'm stuck in step two. And in fact, no, we don't need to understand God. Nope. I don't need to understand something intellectually in order to believe it and rely on its power. And we've all heard the analogy of electricity, right? I don't really need to understand how turbines in a power plant 
create electricity, that somehow it travels in wires and it enters my home and there's a circuit breaker in the basement and that somehow, I don't know, it relates to the power of the outlet in the wall that my lamp is plugged into. I don't need to understand any of that. What do I need? I need a dark room. I need a room that's dark and I need a lamp and I plug it in and I don't have to understand it. But I believe in it because I don't want to sit in the dark anymore, right? And that's really, that's really what this is. Um, and I'm happy to rely on it without understanding it. Why? Because I want a light. I want to, I want to live in the light. And that's how I feel about this step. Why was I happy to believe in it? Because I wanted to live in the light. I wanted to come out of the darkness of this disease and live in sunlight. You know, what I need actually is not more intellect and not more understanding. I need the humility to believe in something I might not be able to understand or define yet. I don't need to understand and to define it even. I used to think, how do, how do I believe in something I can't put to words? Because I love words, right? I don't know, but I, but I can. I sure can. You know, um, we need faith, right? And that's actually the definition of faith. Believing without defining. Having a belief in something without necessarily having a clear definition of it. I need a concept of God that supersedes for me a fixed concept. I need to have an open mind and a willingness to let this concept evolve, right? And until it's fully formed, I'm allowed to use substitutes and placeholders. Those of us that start out calling the group our higher power, because it does say that in the AA 12 and 12, you can start from that position, so long as you're willing to keep seeking, because we know that it's not gonna be a human power, right? And humans fail us. That's like the rule here. If you're gonna rely on a human being, humans fail us, because we're not sufficient power. But we can start out by calling a group, a collection of people, our higher power, and find over time that our alcohol obsession, our food obsession lessens, and we transform. You know, when we're told, why don't you form your own conception? I think a lot of people misunderstand, myself included. I thought that meant I get to make up God. And that kind of didn't make sense to me because if I'm so sick and I'm so broken, how can I make up something that's gonna help me? It sounded like, like a catch 22. And actually forming your own conception means forming your own beginning. A conception is a beginning. So I can start from something ineffective that's not really logical, that doesn't really make sense, as long as it's enough to get me to, keep, to get my foot in the door, take a seat and keep seeking and keep looking, right, with an open mind. So, Page 28, it says, relieved of the alcohol obsession, their lives unaccountably transformed. They came to believe in a higher power and most of them began to talk of God. So, and that's really what happens, that people over time begin to just use the word. 
whether your concept of God is totally different than mine, we all just stop debating the details, the specifics of what your conception is and how it's the same as mine and different from mine. We call it God and we get on with the business, right? Get on with the business of getting well. So now let's look at the third classification. Those who believe God exists, but have no faith that he's going to perform this miracle. And those are, are, there are those that have had the faith, but lost it. They're the drifters who became indifferent. They lost their faith because they began to believe that they didn't need to believe. Self-sufficient. They could win and they didn't need God after all. Then, then when crushed by alcohol, they once again returned to faith and it was in AA that it was rediscovered. And that does happen for a lot of people. They have a faith that they really believed in as a child. Life got great for them. They let go of their faith. Life got rough. They found it again, right? Then there are those that lost their faith because they're intellectually self-sufficient. They worship intellect. And worst of all, they worship their own intellect, right? Not just intellect as a whole, but their own intellect. And page 29 says, yes, we were like you, far too smart for our own good. Knowledge was all powerful. We were brighter than most folks, or so we thought. And I read that and I laugh because my own attitude was a block to finding God. I used mental gymnastics to outthink this God idea. I, I've actually said out loud in my arrogance, like I shared before, you told me in step one that my thinking is broken and now you want me to use my broken thinking to create my own God. And thankfully for me, I have a God who loves me so much that he used this as an opportunity to lovingly yet firmly kind of crack my intellectual arrogance wide open. And what happened for me, um, as I heard another voice in my head and I knew it wasn't like, it was just sort of, I knew it wasn't really my father. My father's gone. My father's been deceased, but this really was a very powerful moment for me because here I was struggling in morbid obesity, struggling to believe in God, thinking I'm too smart. By the way, I've always been told um, that I'm like a know-it-all. That was like what, what, <laughs> That's what I was like labeled as my parents would tell me, you think you know everything, you don't know everything, you know, you, you like, that is definitely how I have been defined. Like you should, you're a know-it-all and I am, I'm a perpetual know-it-all. That's, that's my, that's an obstacle for me. That's what I ask God to remove. Give me some humility. I don't know everything, but what happened for me was in that moment, I heard I heard this voice in my brain. It sounded just like what my dad would have said to me. And it was, stop being so smart. You want to get better or not? You know, and you don't know everything. Maybe you don't know everything. And, you know, I have to say that kind of thought that came in my head that sort of sounded like something my dad would have said to me, it did not propel me to fall on my knees and see the light, right? I wasn't like, oh, I see the light now. But for me, it gave me like this little kick in the pants that I just better do the work and stop thinking so much, right? Just do the work and stop thinking so much. And, and by the way, you know, 
There's no chapter in the big book that's called into thinking. Nope, it's called into action. Believing doesn't mean that I can't have intellect. We're not told to abandon our intelligence. Page 30 says humility and intellect could be compatible provided we place humility first. So I can use my intellect if I'm rightly sized, if it's to be useful, if it's to help and cooperate with God's will, then I can use my thinking. And then there are those that are disgusted with religion. They're prejudiced against believing and they're confusing man's sin with God's. They're self-righteous, they're smugly superior. Page 30 says, we gloated over the hypocrisy, the bigotry and crushing self-righteousness that clung to so many believers. How we loved to shout the damaging fact that millions of the good men of religion were still killing another off in the name of God. This all meant, of course, that we had substituted negative for positive thinking in belaboring the sins of some religious people so we could feel superior to them. Moreover, we could avoid looking at some of our own shortcomings, self-righteousness, the very thing that we had contemptuously condemned in others were our own besetting evil. So I looked at religious people. I didn't like some of the things that some of them were doing. And it was like, well, I don't want any of that, right? I'm better than that, you know? And the energy that we use to find fault with those who believe to make ourselves feel better, I say that's summoning the negative rather than courting the positive. And when I expend my energies and my intellect and my intelligence to find fault with others, and then I attribute their human flaws as evidence of God's non-existence or ineffectiveness, I'm actually more like those people that I'm criticizing. So I have to use my mental faculties to seek out the positive in people that believe. And when I see things in people that believe that are negative in nature, well, I can't attribute that to God. That's men, that's people. And remember, people are gonna let us down because we're not sufficient power. We're not God. Page 31, more often than not though, we had met up with some major calamity and to our way of thinking, lost out because God deserted us. And it says here, the girl we wanted to marry had other notions and we prayed that, to God that she would change her mind and she didn't. Or we prayed for healthy children and we were presented with sick ones or none at all. We prayed for promotions at business and none came. Loved ones upon whom we heartily depended were taken away from us by so-called acts of God right? So we've had tragedies and then we became alcoholics, drunkards, it says, or compulsive overeaters. And we asked God, I begged God, right? To stop, please stop this, but nothing happened. And this was the unkindest cut of all. Damn this faith business, we said. So 
The problem with this is that we actually never really relied on God here. We relied on our vision of how things ought to be, how things should be. And when we didn't get that, we said, well, there's no God, right? So if I didn't get this promotion, well, then there's no God. If I didn't get X, Y, and Z, then there's no God. And basically what I'm saying is God did not live in agreement with my will for him. So he doesn't exist, right? Um, and the sad reality is that, you know, we're all at one time or other, we're gonna be met with pain and catastrophes. Like that's the human experience. I don't know why, but I know it is, right? And um, I've had my own painful losses. I think most of us sitting here have. And if we haven't yet, we will, because we have finite lives and the people around us do as well. So we will suffer loss. That's just part of the human experience. So I need a faith that's going to work under all conditions then. I need a power that I can rely on during pain, trials, and catastrophes. And just like the work of the steps, as I will rely on God, I actually come to find God is right there. What happened for me is that in time I realized that yes, I have gone through some really hard times in my life, but I actually got through them and God did not abandon me. Otherwise I wouldn't be here, right? I'm here because God never abandoned me. What he did do was he placed, consistently placed people and resources right there at my disposal just when I needed them, right? That's, that's really what happened for me. And when people and resources weren't available, he somehow gave me this thing inside me. He filled me with some sort of inner strength, just enough to get through that hard moment, right? So that someone was there to help me. Um, you know, so next we have the type who believes that he's, oh, whatever price and humility we must pay and would repay and would pay. And next we have the type who believes he's devout. He believes in God, but suspects that God doesn't believe in him. And to clergymen, doctors, friends, and families, the alcoholic who means well and tries hard is a heartbreaking riddle. But to most of us in AA and OA, he's not. It's not really a riddle. And this part really talks about the quality of faith rather than the, quant the quantity of faith. The type who has a checklist of their practices and prayers, but truly their prayers were more of a spiritual transaction. Like I can buy my wishes from God. I'll give him this devotion so long as he grants me my wishes. You know, and all along the internal motivation is to have my wishes met in exchange for prayer and worship. You give me my wishes, I'll give you prayer and worship. And in order to truly believe, it has to be without the selfishness of desire. Furthermore, as addicts, we have a specific way of creating a spiritual transformation. Why hasn't just my faith alone worked before? Some people are like, I don't know why, why just believing? Why hasn't just my spiritual practices worked before? I'm religious. I love God. 
Shouldn't I have gotten over my food problem? It's a common wonderings of the believers who have had alcoholic struggles. We had been asking something for nothing. The fact was we really hadn't cleaned house so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. In no deeper meaningful sense had we ever taken stock of ourselves, made amends to those we had harmed or freely given to any other human being without any demand for reward. We had not even prayed rightly, right? We've always said, grant me my wishes instead of thy will be done. In the love of God and man, we understood not at all. Therefore, we remained self-deceived and so incapable of receiving enough grace to restore us to sanity. And what I would say with this is for those of you who have deep and effective feelings about God and a religious practice and you're wondering why it didn't work, um, you know, that's keeping an open mind. Maybe stop asking why it didn't work and try this way right? Not saying that all that means nothing, right? But I don't know why for someone like me, I required 12 steps to have an effective spiritual experience. That's what someone like me with an addiction needed to have a miracle, to have that act of providence. Page 33 ends with, therefore, Step two is a rallying point for all of us. We can stand together on this step. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And in every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. And I say like, what a powerful way to end a chapter. We're assured, we're guaranteed that the restoration of our sanity will come. It's a loving to me and a powerful dose of encouragement. If step one is the realization that I'm drowning, then step two is the life vest arriving on the scene, right? It's the life vest coming into view and it's the promise that hang on, help has arrived. With that, I'll pass.